0: Well good morning, morning. it's good to see you, my name is Patrick Payton and um, I'm the guest speaker today I guess, I've got the microphone, so uh, it's good to be with you, Um, just a quick kind of who I am and where I'm from, I'm from Midland, Texas, Um, wasn't born and bred there, I was actually uh, raised in Oklahoma, my wife and I, Cindy, she's over there, and um, are those house lights going to come up or are they going to stay down like that, do you guys stay in the dark, no, Rather see you, so I'm going to move this a little bit. If you're on the sides, you might want to move. I know you didn't want to sit next to anybody at church, but uh, I'm going to be on this thing the whole time. So, um, God, seriously, can we turn those lights on? I know it'll take a minute for him to come on, but I want to see you. I want to know how to react to you. Can we do that? Like even if it takes 10 minutes for him to come on. So I'm from Oklahoma, born and bred in Oklahoma, but uh, was in the business world for um, cool. I get to see. you, That's great. Um, I was in business. I was leading an Experiencing God Bible study. Anybody ever done Experiencing God Bible study or wreck your life? I don't recommend it. And so I uh, told a bunch of people in the class, I said, would you ever sell everything and just take off with God to see what he does? And literally I got home that night and the Lord was sort of, I don't think I've ever heard him audibly speak, but there was this voice in me that just said, would you? And so I looked at my wife and I said, would we? And so we did. We sold everything, moved off to seminary didn't do, we refused to do um, resumes and stuff like that. We just said, God, wherever you want us to go, we'll go. And I got a phone call from a uh, buddy of mine who had moved to Midland, and this was back in 98. He said, you want to come start a church in Midland? There was nothing happening in Midland back then. There was, uh, oil was $9 a barrel. So we said, sure, it sounds like a great opportunity. So we went down to Midland, started a church in a kind of a gym like this. And then um, 19 years later, about 20 years later, I'd made a commitment when we started, because I grew up in Southern Baptist churches where pastors stayed too long. And so I made a commitment that I would leave before they wanted me to and leave before they tell me to. And we really were at this amazing place. I have about 25,000 members in our church. And it was easier to kind of count where we weren't involved in the world than it was to count all the places we were involved in the world. God had taken us to many, many places. And we just prayed again. We were like, okay, God, here we go. The church was healthy. They were out of debt. Everything was built. We had two campuses in two different cities, multiple services. And we just said, all right, we're going to trust you for whatever the next step is. And so that was 10 months ago. We've been traveling around and doing quite a bit of stuff. And I've been doing a lot of leadership and consulting in the business world. God's just sort of implanted me back in there. But the reason I'm here, you may think, well, where would they find you, like on dial a pastor or something. And the way they found me was you have a dear friend of mine as a member here, Dr. Kathy Cook. And Dr. Kathy Cook and I met each other. Uh, This was probably 12 plus years ago. We were both speakers at a a program called, um, I'm going to move somebody's microphone here, at a thing called Exodus. And it was this um, conference for those who struggled with same-sex attraction. And so I was leading a breakout session. And so was Dr. Kathy. At the time, I didn't know who she was, just a real tall lady with a deep voice. And so I was doing this little breakout session. And I just noticed that like, 12 people came to my breakout session, and down the hall, there's this big, tall lady with a deep voice who had hundreds of people in her breakout session. I couldn't figure it out. I was better than her, and so I went down there to listen to her, and I realized I'm not better than her, and then we met. Our churches started, par- or we started partnering with her. She, she was speaking at our youth camp and various events, and so um, that's how we had this introduction, and then she invited me here with my wife to come down here, and we were in this little uh, meeting with some people about publishers and things like that. Your pastor met me, and then he called and said he was leaving for this sabbatical, and would I like to fill in? And I was like, absolutely. This is the first time I've preached in church in 10 months, and so it's, it's great to be back with you. Back, I've never been with you. So, um, by the way, last thing, um, thank you for sending your pastor on a sabbatical. Uh, that's huge of you. Uh, in fact, when I asked him if this was his first sabbatical, he said yes, And I said, do not let it be your last. And in fact, I would tell you as a church, I didn't tell the first service this, they're a bit older, I was talking too fast, but I (laughs) would tell you, you need to make him leave outside of vacation time every year. If you're really going to be faithful to the shepherd that God has sent you, there's this ridiculous notion in the church of America that pastors are supposed to work below pay grade all their lives and never miss a Sunday, even though you could if you wanted to. And they're supposed to be fresh and they're supposed to be anointed every single week. And that's a joke. And you're killing a man, I'm just telling you that. And about 10 years into my tenure, our church started giving me every July off. And that wasn't vacation time. That was to go get my soul back. I can tell you right now, your pastor's been gone for about four weeks. He didn't ask me to say this, by the way. I know you guys are like, game on. He didn't ask me to say this. In fact, he'd probably tell me not to. But I'm telling you, it took him at least a month to get his soul back. And it's gonna take him another month to rest, and he's gonna come back here. You as a church... Seriously have a a role to play in the shepherding of your pastor's heart So that he doesn't crash and burn someday and I know he's going to tell you he's doing great He's doing fine, you know fine is the christian f-word and he's going to tell you all things are going great I don't need to do that and and that's just not true. You just force him out Seriously, you say hey bro, or whatever you address him brother steve, you know, just see ya We'll be fine. We're gonna be great Like some of you who are leaders in the church. Maybe you need to step up and preach And um, and let God use you as well. Okay, that's enough of that. So here's the deal. You're talking about growth as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I brought my Bible up. Let me tell you this before I offend you anymore. I'm not going to open mine because I'm going to give you a truckload of scripture today, okay? So your job as a follower of Jesus is to either get a pen, that's a thing you write with, and paper, and take notes, or your phone and open the notes app, and you need to write down all the scriptures I'm going to tell you, because I'm going to take you through a process on this whiteboard of growth and change. And it's something that God worked in our lives as a church over many, many years. And so there's going to be a lot of scripture. I know some of you are already offended. You're going to turn me off because like you did not open the sacred word of God and read. I'm, I'm going to tell you a lot about the sacred word of God, and you're going to have to go back and look at it, okay? Deal? Deal. Okay, if you don't go back, I mean, what's the purpose? So, in fact, you should check everything every pastor stands up and teaches you, right? Like, that should be your quiet time on Mondays. You should go back and read everything you were taught to see if it's true. This poor woman over here who is doing the sign language for me, I'm sorry, I go really fast, and so that's just the way it's going to be. So we're talking about growth, and I don't know if you've ever had this conversation with yourself or with other people, but when we talk about growing and maturing as followers of Jesus, most of the time we equate growth and maturity with actions, what you do. Like you must be mature because you have quiet times every week, or you read your Bible every day. You must be a follower of Jesus who's growing because you, you gave when the buckets went by. That's funny you guys take offering plates at the first service and buckets in the second. I thought that was kind of funny because so, this is the contemporary service. And so, um, um, see, I get to say whatever I want to you guys because I don't have to come back next week. So anyways, where was I? Oh, because okay, so, you gave money at the, at the thing, the buckets. Or you teach Sunday school. You must be mature. And you teach five-year-olds, so you must be growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've remained married for 40 years. You you must be a mature follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though you won't confess that in the last 20 you both been miserable because of bitterness from your childhood that you haven't dealt with. That's a whole other issue. And so we oftentimes equate maturity with actions. And what most of us know who've been followers of Jesus for a long time is that we have struggled with what that really means. Have I memorized enough Scripture? Am I acceptable to the Lord? And deep within our souls, many of us who've been walking with Jesus many, many years, we still wonder if God's sort of remotely hacked off at us all the time. Because he knows how we mess up all the time. The things we do, and we just wonder if in heaven, he's saying to himself, of all the people I could have, been, could have saved, I'm still putting up with Patrick. And we think that about ourselves sometimes. The way I know that is because when we sin, how we pray after we sin, God, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, as if our sins had never been atoned for. So today what I want to do is take you through a different idea of what it means to grow, and then I want to take you through a process of how that growth occurs. But what I'm going to do is ask you to remember this passage of Scripture. Galatians, it's in the New Testament, one of the letters of Paul. Galatians chapter 5, you know this Scripture, even if you may not know it off the top of your head. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. In it, we're talk, we are told about the fruits of the what? Can you answer that question? fruits of the Spirit. And we're going to get interactive here like Mr. Rogers. By the way, have you seen the previews of the new Mr. Rogers movie coming out? That is going to be so good. So Just segue. So, watch this. When, whenever God is going to grow you, he's going to do something in your life. I'm going to contend with you this morning or submit to you out of John 15 and Galatians 5 and Romans chapter 8 that what he's going to do in you first and grow in you first is fruit of the Spirit before actions of a Christian. So if you go to John chapter 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. You ever heard that one? It's it's an amazing chapter if you want to go study vineyards. I know for those of you who've been growing up Southern Baptist, you're like, you want me to study wine? Yeah, you ought to go do that. It's pretty cool. And so you study the vineyard and how amazing it is. In John chapter 15, here's a little trinket for you, nugget, whatever you want to call it. Do you know what the most valuable season is in the life of a vineyard? Just guess. Winter. Winter. The most important season in a vineyard is when it looks dead. Because that's when the work goes down deep to produce the sap that goes up and produces fruit. Keep that in your mind, because what I just told you is when God is working his most in you is when you're most dry and alone and worried. When you look dead, or feel dead, is when he's working you, Bless you. And so, in John chapter 15, he says, I have appointed you that you would go and bear what? You know what he says? Fruit. fruit. And that fruit would what? Remain. So in other words, he's working fruit. Then you get to Romans chapter 8, he talks about walking in the Spirit. And then he gets to Galatians chapter 5, and he talks about not doing the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit being produced in you. Also, back in John chapter 15, he says, if you produce fruit, what does he say he's going to do to you if you produce fruit? prune you. That's right. So when it seems really good and you're producing a good cabernet out of your life, you don't know what that is because you grew up in the church, it's kind of wine. And so you're producing a really good cab, he's going to prune you. And so what's he producing in your life? Here's my contention to you out of all that scripture I just gave you. He is working in you to produce one or all of the following. And you're going to be able to say them with me because they're in Galatians chapter five. What are they? Love, love, Joy. I'm not going to write them all. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I may have gotten them out of order, but that's pretty much the gist. You get it? Okay, so he's doing, this is called fruit. He's working fruit in you because out of fruit comes the action of the spirit-filled life. Most of us can pretend to be spirit-filled for a moment, but you can't keep pretending. Like you can get by with it on Sunday morning, right? Like you you can have the worst family fight of your life, pulling into the parking lot, right? And then as soon as you get out, you can close the doors and goes, praise the Lord. God bless you, bless your heart. Can I pray for you? Then you can get back in the car and be like, ah! Right, you're like, well what's wrong with that? Everything's wrong with that. But God is working in you to produce fruit. Now this is the end of the process. For your entire Christian life, you have struggled with this. What is the action he's asking of me? He never asks an action first. He's working fruit first, then obedience. Now watch, because this next part is where Kathy Cook and and our lives came to be, because I was doing this whole thing for many years, and I was missing something. Something was gone. And so I sat down and listened to her teach about the five core needs. Have any of you listened to her teach about the five core needs? Okay, one of you. Okay, so let me show you. Remember this passage of scripture, Philippians chapter four. Remember, I told you gonna be a lot of scripture. Philippians 419 says, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So he designed you a needs based person in order for him to meet those needs. By the way, you may not have thought about this. You know what sin is? Sin is me trying to meet God's designed needs in my life outside of his will and way. Sin is me trying to meet my God-designed needs in my own way rather than his way. For instance, in the Garden of Eden, when God showed us that he was a God who tests us, you know how I know that? You remember He put in, in the garden, he put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and said, Don't eat of that. Do you realize in the garden God placed a test? Which means he's designed it that way. And so he, he put this thing in there and he said to Adam and Eve, I've met all your needs. You have everything you need. Don't touch that tree. In the same way in your life, he will provide all of your needs. When we sin is when we try to meet my needs my own way. I'll show you that here in just a minute. But let me show you these needs, okay? Because you've been designed a needs creature. You guys need to listen faster because I'm running out of time quick, okay? So I'm going to draw, it looks like a wedding cake here. Probably not your wedding cake, but an old-fashioned wedding cake. Okay, and we're going to work our way up here, okay? You need to be taking notes, just telling you. First need, and these are in order of importance, okay? And this is all Dr. Cook, all right? The first need that God has designed you for him to meet is the need for security, and security asks the question, who can I trust? Who can I trust? Bless you. A lot of people sneezing over here, like, I didn't even wear any cologne this morning, is there a problem? So listen, the first need you have is security. Who can I trust? Now I want to tell you something. Ever since you were a little child, the enemy has tried to get you to see that you can't trust anybody. Ever since you were a little kid. That's why some of you still don't trust women, some of you still don't trust men, because he's been attacking that root. This is the first place the enemy attacked Eve in the garden. When he slithered up and he said, Hey, Eve, did God say... In other words, can you trust him? Can you trust him? And for many of you, as I'll show you here in just a minute, God keeps hammering away at this issue of trust, and this is where you're stuck in your growth because you can't trust. You can behave, I'll show you that here in just a minute, but you won't trust. And if you don't learn what's going on here in these tests and trials in your life, you'll pass this on to your children. Here's the next need. Identity. Identity. So identity, pretty easy question, who am I? Who am I? We all want to know who we are. And it starts with this beautiful Psalm 139 that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. But if you don't trust the people who are telling you that, then your identity is going to be warped. You see that? You see how if if I've already got trust issues because of what happened to me by people I was supposed to trust and those very same people are trying to define my identity, then I've already got identity problems because i got trust issues. Right? That's why it's so hard in church sometimes. You see church leaders that you thought you could trust. They've been telling you who you are in Christ all your life. Then you find out who they aren't. You've got an identity issue. Belonging is the next one. And these are in order of importance. And I'll show you why here in just a minute. Belonging asks the question, who wants me? not who needs me. For instance, you say, what's the difference? So if my hot water heater goes out, I need a plumber to come fix it. I do not want him to stay. You understand what I'm talking about? There's a huge difference. When you recruit volunteers to work in the nursery, stop telling them you need them. I want you. I, I want you here. It's the difference between needing to have Thanksgiving dinner when family members show up and actually wanting some of those family members to show up. Are you, are you with me? Do you understand the difference? It's a slight difference, but it's huge. I want to be wanted. I can do things for people, but I want to be wanted for who I am because we trust each other. You follow? So they build on each other. You knock this one out, you've got problems here. You knock these two out, you'll always have problems here. These are in order. Here's the next one, purpose. What am I here for? What am I here for? Why, why do I exist? I'll just put exist. But if I don't have security and my identity is out of whack, like if I don't trust people but I'm choosing to have my identity by social media and people want me or at least they act like they want me because of how many people connect with me, then my purpose must be to be on social media and make up a story about myself. That's how that works. But then here's the last one. Competence or... What do I do well? Now watch this, because this happens primarily with an older generation, but young people watch this as well. If you invert this, like, the invert means turn it upside down. If, if you turn this thing upside down, many of us are building our lives on a false security of what we do. And then we make that our purpose, and it defines my belonging with the company who wants me because of what I do. And it defines who I am. And it's my security. But then one day I lose a job. I lose a talent. And industry craters. And I don't know what to do. Then what has happened to my entire life? Gone. It's why so many men and women from the World War II generation have died Depressed. Because when they came out of war, whether it be World War II, Korea, or Vietnam, when they came out, their identity was based on what they did. And they came back to a culture that said, keep doing what you do, and do the family thing. And because they didn't know what growth was, and many of you don't know what growth is, you didn't know what to do with your struggles. Because by the way, God designed us to struggle. So the only thing we knew how to do was get big carpets to sweep our troubles under and ignore all the elephants walking around in the living rooms of our houses and pass that misery on to the next generation if you don't have this right. Now, what that means is since God designed us this way, and this is exactly the order in which he tempted Eve, then he's going to work through the needs, Philippians four nineteen to grow in us the fruit, which makes me turn a corner now. Remember this passage of scripture, Romans 5, 1 through 11, and the whole chapter, James chapter 1. I'm going to paraphrase. Please do not think I'm minimizing scripture. I want you to go back and read it. Both Romans 5 and James 1, the the gist of their message is rejoice in testing and trials. Because God's working to grow you. Now, whatever word you use, sovereignty, or God's running the show, or God's in control, I don't care which word you use. I'm not here to fight with you about it. But I am here to tell you my core conviction is God is in control. That God's running the show. Now, as a pastor for 20 years, I will tell you that has been shaken to its core at times when as a pastor of a young church with mostly a congregation like this, when I walk into a room and I find a young lady standing there who I just got the phone call that her five-year-old daughter just burned up in a car crash with her uncle. You don't just walk in the room and go, blessed assurance, God's taking care of everything, he's running the show, right? Or you're an idiot. You're better off to say, I don't understand, but I trust. All right, tragedy after tragedy. So please don't be the followers of Jesus who just tell everybody God's running the show when you haven't even gotten down on your knees with somebody where the show is a wreck. You follow? You follow me? Are you with me? Are we good? Okay, well, I got to keep going even if we're not. So here's what happens. You You have this promise that God will only grow you through tests and trials. It's a promise of Scripture. Every time you're going through a test or a trial, God is getting ready to change you and grow you. And so here's what He does: He brings a test into our lives. However, that might come about. If you want to, you know, the, you know the most disturbing book of the Bible is the book of Job, right? And if you've never read it, you're like, why? I mean, it's horribly disturbing. If we're going to be really honest about it, that the Bible tells us Satan comes into the presence of who? God, and he says, who you got? And God says, the best is Job. And then eventually God says to Satan, do it. Take everything but his life. Wreck it. That, that ought to just, the only word I know is completely discombobulate you. But know that he's in control. Because at the end of Job, Job says this, I've heard about you, but now I see you. So God's gonna take you through tests and trials. And here's the biblical paradigm. Every test and trial is gonna run through a need. Because he is going to teach you, you can trust him, or he's gonna teach you more about who you are, or who wants you, or what your purpose is, or what you do well, or all of the above. And as he's running every test through those needs, He's working in you to produce fruit. I'm going to fill this in in just a minute, but let me tell you the result of the fruit because many of us think we're growing so that we become mature, fair, but not completely true. Here's another passage for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the apostle Paul says this, For I have been comforted so that I can comfort others with the same comfort that I have received in the test I just went through. So think about this. Imagine, you can't imagine because I'm doing it. So I'm standing here, this side of the test. Over here is someone I've never met. Maybe I have, maybe I haven't. And God is beginning a work in your life today because possibly someone you've never met or seen needs to see the finished fruit of your life that when squeezed, You show up to present them the wine of comfort through a life well tested. You follow me? That means there's no neutral moment in your life. Not one. Every second, God's at work. So here's what happens. Where's this growth thing come into play? Every time a test comes into our lives, I always had a problem in my life trying to figure out James chapter 1. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces on and on. And then it says and pray for wisdom. So I was like, what? Count it all joy, pray for wisdom. Count it all joy, pray for wisdom. But the opposite of that is what we usually do. I'll get back to wisdom here in just a second. Here's the first step we usually take in the midst of tests and trials. And I'll show you this one that goes upward in a minute. Another scripture, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. If you put it in today's language, here's what the first reaction is every time we go through a test, if we don't respond to it in the spirit. I see, I want, or I think I deserve. 1 John says it this way. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Here's Here's how I know we do this, okay? You ready? This is a stupid example, but if I keep it stupid, then everybody will feel more comfortable about how bad this is in their own lives. Anybody ever go to the grocery store? Okay. Yeah. Fair? You ever go to Walmart? God forbid. You ever go to Walmart? Okay. So here's what you do. You go to the grocery store, and, and you're in a hurry. So being a good churchgoer, you, you're a rule follower, you do this. There's a 10-item aisle. I'm going to get nine items. Right? And you count. Right? So you, you, you saunter up to the place that says nine, and right in front of you, is somebody from First Baptist with 30 items in their bag. You ever been there? Yeah, you have. And was your first thought, God bless them, this is an amazing opportunity for me to show the joy of Christ. No, no, you're like, I deserve to be in front of them. And so what you do is you, you just act like it's okay. You know you do it, you know you do it. And when they turn around and look at you, you give them the Christian smile. That's all you're gonna do, and then you you get the divider out, you know, that divides your groceries. You're like, just so they know that your ten fits. So you know how that goes. Same thing. Like people don't yield on the highway when you're supposed to like merge lanes. How many of you just wish you had a car you could hit people with, or something like that? So that. But watch what happens here. A test happens. My well, I'll give you a picture here in just a minute. Let me cut to the. If you don't catch this. If you don't stop this, and I'll show you how to stop it here in just a minute. If you don't stop this, the very next thing that happens, and this happened in the life of Eve, it happened in the life of Samuel, happens in the life of Peter, then here's the next thing you'll do if you don't stop this and catch what God's doing. You will guard, protect, defend, and blame. And this is just a vicious circle go either way. I'll give an example, kind of where this all started. And then Kathy stepped in and helped us put it together. When I was pastoring for about two or three years into this, this pastorate, we had an unbelievable amount of people who were showing up at our church. We preached a message for years that you could bring all your luggage and baggage to church. In fact, I remember we had a stage full of luggage and all this stuff. We said, just bring it. Well, they brought it. And so we had counseling appointments over. It was the first hire I made was a full-time professional counselor, and we had seemed like wrecked marriages over and over again, just wrecked, just tragedies. And the more we sat down, the more we realized a, a theme that was taking place. And I'm, I'm somewhat satirizing this thing, but listen closely. A couple would sit there, and I'd always meet with them, or not always, but often separately and then together, because they'd, they'd like be sane separately, then you put them together, and they'd start attacking each other. And... I'll pick on the guy, it happened with the girl as well. And the guy usually said something brilliant like this. I don't know what happened, I just had an affair. It was just something like that. And you're like, oh really? Like he just woke up one morning and said, you know what, I feel like an affair. No, that's not how that happens. And I said, so let's talk about how that happens. And this is how it happens. Guy's at work. I mean, he's been married to his wife three or four years, good marriage, got a new house, got a job, got thing one and thing two at home, you know, that kind of deal. They may have thing three, everything looks good. They got the Range Rover. It's all looking good. And so he goes to work one day. She's staying at home. She's working at home. And she's taking care of thing one, two, possibly three. And he goes to the office. And one day about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, he's like, you know what? Let's just call him Bill and her Betsy, which are not very cool names, but Bill and Betsy. And so if you're Bill, I'm sorry. If you're Betsy, I'm sorry. But today it's not that cool. And so Bill's like, I bet Betsy can't wait to see me. It was about 2.30 in the afternoon. He's like, in fact, I bet Betsy's been thinking about me all day. I'll bet that Betsy's got plans tonight for me. And I'll bet you when I get home, thing one and thing two might be at the in-law's house. The mother-in-law's probably thing three. So he's like, I bet you they're going to be gone. And it's just going to be romantic. It's just, oh my goodness, I'll bet you it's going to be an amazingly Amazing night. So he's got this whole thing cooking in his mind. And all the guys in the room are like, I don't think that way. Yeah, you do. And so he's got it going on. He, he takes off from work early. Doesn't even tell, what's her name, Betsy? Betsy, that he's coming home. So he's going to get home early. He gets to the house. Range Rover, you know, the door just comes up automatically. He pulls in. He goes, this is going to be the most amazing night of my life. He walks in. She's still in the yoga pants and the hat she had on when he left. Still got her pony hanging out the back. And she looks at him and she says, Bill, I need you to take care of thing one and thing two. So already the night's, it ain't going very romantic just yet. And she says, I haven't fixed dinner. You need to call one of those apps that's going to bring food. And I'm going to bed early because I have had it with thing one and thing two. And so Bill's like, huh, a watch. She must not really want me. I guess I'm really not as cool as I thought I was. I wonder if I can trust her. Does she not understand how good I am at work and all the things I've done? After all, my purpose is to be a strapping man who meets all of our needs. And she says, take care of the kids. I'm going to bed. So he goes to work the next day. All of us think this is no big deal because he stays up that night and watches Monday Night Football. She's in bed, barely gets a kiss goodnight. He walks in. They hired a new secretary just the other week. And she barely dresses when she comes to work. And Bill comes in and she says, Bill, have you been working out? He goes, yes and goes to his office. He has this other idea about Betsy again, this doesn't happen, you know, he's like wondering what's going on, and then he comes back the next week and the, the, the tightly dressed secretary says, Bill, I mean, are you training for a marathon? Yes, <laughs> and then the next thing is she says, you want to have a cup of coffee together in the break room? Certainly, and he comes home and he's been seeing what he wants to see, what he wants, and by goodness what he deserves. And what he does when he goes home now, or she goes home, if you want to put the shoe on the other foot, is he starts guarding his heart. He starts protecting, defending. And when she says, Bill, when Betsy says, Bill, what is wrong? Nothing. Why do you keep asking me that question? I'm sick and tired of you asking me if I'm okay. I'm fine. Christian F word. But he's, all along, he's spent, he hadn't done anything yet, done anything yet. But then one day... I just ended up in bed with the secretary. And then what happens is this piece right here moves over here. And he guards and he protects and he defends. And the reason why 70% of those kind of things fail is because eventually, watch what happens. He's going to go right back around and he's going to get tested again because the Lord never skips chapters in the book of your life until you master the chapter of that maturity. That's why some of you have been repeating the same issue for decades. Because God is continuing to try to teach you you can trust him. And you keep not trusting him with what your mother did to you. Or what your dad did to you that you didn't deserve. And you wonder why one Thanksgiving you blew up in front of the whole family. And they said, where'd that come from? All oh, about 30 years ago. Because I don't think Jesus took care of that. So I'm going to take care of it. You follow me? got really quiet in here. Every test and every trial is an opportunity to trust the object of my faith or choose to trust myself to meet my needs. You know that's what faith is. Faith is not some, woo, I believe. Faith is absolutely trusting a person, place, or thing to meet my deepest needs. That's why we put our faith in the finished work of Jesus. So if this is what happens in tests and trials, because the result of this whole process is not going to be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. If you read Galatians 5, the result of this is going to be an action of the flesh, And that's why this dude who left Betsy to hook up with Claire about 40 years later says to his kids, I'm sorry. I wish I'd never done that. But It it is what it is. Here we are. And he still doesn't know. But you know what? When he was having an affair on Betsy, he was teaching Sunday school. Isn't that maturity? Now, here's what happens on the other side of this. Here comes the test. Whatever the test is in your life. If I choose against this, and you see this really fast. I mean, we all see it pretty fast. It just happens at home all the time. I mean, you just, you know, you say things to each other, the sarcasm back and forth, or the kids, or work, or whatever it is. We're constantly being tested. So you're either going to stay down here in the flesh, or, why wow, are we over time that far? Okay, I'm, I'm done. Here's what you have to do. You've got to pray for wisdom. Let me give you a definition for wisdom. You good? Like three minutes. Wisdom is perspective. Wisdom is not how much you know. A lot of you know the Bible. But wisdom is perspective. And then eventually, God's going to call you to die to yourself, Luke chapter 9. And then he's going to make you wait. And you know what? He may never change the circumstance or the situation or the person, but he will teach you he's faithful regardless of the situation because here's what he'll produce in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So here's what you pray, simple prayer. Test comes, trial comes. Honestly, how many of you think you're in a test right now? Okay, the rest are lying. So here's the deal. Here's your prayer life. Forget your prayer list, okay? A lot of us do our prayer list because we think it makes God happy. It doesn't. There's nothing you can do to make him more happy or less happy. He just loves you. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less or love you more. He just loves you. So when we pray, here's what you do in the midst of tests and trials. God, James chapter 1, I need wisdom. In other words, I need to see the situation the way you want me to see it, and I need to see the people the way you want me to see them. And then when God says, really? You want to see them the way I see them? Go back here to this side of the chart. (laughs) Love. So they hurt you, really? I get it. You know what they did to my son? I get it. Love. So they're not changing as fast as you would want them to change. You know, I've been walking with you for a long time patience you see you can act like a mature christian but when it gets down to it he's working through your needs to expose your perspective so you'll trust him so fruit is produced and then when he makes the wine out of your life then he can trust you with a person who he ushers into your life and he says now with the comforts you've received comfort them let's pray together Sorry for keeping you so long, and um, I don't know what I'm supposed to do now except pray. I think you guys are going to come up and grab guitars. Are we, are we good to go? Okay. And uh, I'm going to be over here at the side, if you have any questions, I have a podcast called No com. You can just go to No com, and um, they're little 17-minute ditties, and so uh, I don't have a website that has this on it. I've been asked that all morning. We're working on that. It's been submitted to a publisher, and... Um, Thank you for your patience and your attention. You've been amazing. I apologize to the kids in the nursery who are waiting. Probably tearing down the walls right now. So tell the people in the nursery thank you. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for letting me have this time with this crew. And um, God, just give us your perspective. In Jesus' name, amen.